This is episode 98 with me, Brett Robbo. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on Your Impactful Journey. Empty your pockets, don't take any of your belongings with you, leave them all here. Don't even carry your lunch in, I'll take that for you. Make sure you have no belongings on you at all. That's what I was told as we entered into where I was about to do my presentations for the day. Something that I've never really experienced before. Then we go through security, through some big lock-up doors... And then we're on the inside, inside of a juvenile detention center where I was about to spend the day hopefully educating and enhancing the lives of the students and the staff within this detention center. This, I really wanted to do a little bit of a podcast about this, just sharing my experience and my feelings because it was quite unique. It was something that I'd never experienced before. And to be honest, I didn't really know what to expect. What I did know was I had been provided some information around this detention center, this specific one on the central coast of New South Wales. And there was some statistics of the populations and the demographics and also the work that they were hoping to achieve for that year and their their plans their strategic direction which is why essentially they got me in so they have some strategic direction around empowering student learning developing resilience and fostering inclusive community links so i'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in my experience in a second but the idea of this juvenile detention center is that when students, I think they have to be 16 years old to go in and they can go up to 20 or 21 years old, they can be in there for petty crimes and robbery, armed robbery. And I found out on the day they can even be in there for things like murder. I didn't know that before I went, but these are the kids that I'm about to present to to help them develop resilience and to be the best version of themselves. They, the the school approached me with the idea that they understood that I could provide a bit of value, but they didn't really know what I was going to present on. And when they told me that their strategic direction was around developing resilience, and what they mean by that is they, they wanted to increase the vocational and practical programs with a focus on creating prepared students who are confident in successfully transitioning back into the community after they do the time, their time in the detention centre. 
to create self-advocacy within their students so that they are able to make positive choices post-release. So once they're released from the detention center and then back in the community. And it's also to increase resilience in staff for the purpose of well-being and positive practices within the classroom. Actually, let me just clearly articulate my beliefs and my thoughts here on something. Obviously, I've been affected by murder in my family. And here I am inside a juvenile detention center where kids could be in there for this. And they're running programs to help people be better versions for when they get released. So it's not to say that these murderers, these young ones, these young killers will get released. And like I said, I don't even know if there was any of them in there on this day, in this round of kids that are going through the school. I have no idea. But let me be really clear that I don't believe any killers, any murderers should ever be released. Not at all. I don't think that if you take someone's life, guilty admittedly that you should get that second chance i believe in second chances for people and listen this is just my beliefs is there a right or wrong with what i'm saying it's that's not the the point the point is this is my beliefs some of you will agree some of you will disagree that's fine that's how we operate as humans but i don't believe that murderers should be released from prison because to take one other person's life you know, that's a pretty big stuff up. That's a pretty big mistake, irreversible. The ripple effect of that through other people's families, you can't take any of that back. So whilst I'm talking, what I'm talking about today, I do believe in second chances for these other kids that are getting into trouble because of their poor environments. Their beliefs are so rigid based on the crap that they've been surrounded by, the broken families, whatever it might be. Some of them, you know what, they'll be re-offenders and keep getting locked up and maybe they don't deserve their second and third chance. Maybe they don't care enough in life. But to have a setup like this, to teach people skills, to hopefully not let them become re-offenders, I think that's pretty great. So I was given the opportunity to attend the school and what we did was we split the – what they did, they know – Everything that I'm sharing with you now, I haven't got any notes for this podcast. Usually I make some notes of what I just wanted to talk through my experience. But so the way that they split up the day was they, the classes would normally only have six to eight students per class. And what we did was combine three classes for my presentations. And I would take, uh, what was I doing? Three groups throughout the day, four groups. And so they were each group was three classes combined but what they actually had to do was make sure that those classes were combined with students that were actually going to be able to be around each other and I wasn't allowed to be in any of the rooms on my own there always had to be teachers uh, and staff there was security staff there they had to have all the teachers all the staff wear earpieces so they can communicate with each other They would bring one class at a time in and close the door, make sure they were settled, bring another group in, close the door, make sure they were settled, bring the other group in, close the door, make sure they were settled. And within that, I had to coordinate 
uh, sorry, not coordinate. I had to present to these kids in this small room working around resilience and I decided to title it also in how to be the best version of yourself because knowing the school's plan and understanding what they were trying to achieve, I wanted it to be very clear from my messaging that it's not just about developing a skill. It's about understanding that you have the ability to be a better version of yourself. So as I was preparing for this this day of presenting and I was reading through the statistics of the the kids that go through this detention center, it's about a six month, it's a high turnover. Every six to eight months, it's almost a whole new flood of kids that come through. So they're not in there for very long. And there's a percentage, 55% are Aboriginal, 35% are Lote, which means languages other than English. I found out on the day that 90% Unfortunately, 90% of uh, kids become re-offenders, about 90%. So I go in thinking, how am I going to... And I ask, what's the comprehension of these kids? And they said it's very varied. Some kids do their HSC and uni degrees while they're in there. Some kids have learning abilities of primary school students, very young primary school students, and they're teenagers or young adults. So I was really thinking about, well, what's the best way to get a message across to these guys where they're actually going to remember something forever? And I decided to tell it through story, which is the way that I do a lot of my presentations because it's very impactful, which is why I do the pro- this podcast the way I do it, where I interview people and they tell their stories because I believe that we can all learn so much value from hearing other people's stories. So it wasn't just my story that I wanted to tell. That was actually the least of it. I wanted to tell stories of the inspiring and impactful Paralympians that I've worked with. People like Scotty Reardon and Vanessa Lowe, who were early episodes of this podcast, who have lost their legs and almost lost their lives in serious accidents. And they've not only recovered from that and learned how to be again and learned how to be accepted in society again, They've also used their adversity to their advantage and they've learned how to become elite athletes and not just elite athletes but amazing inspirational human souls. So there was many stories like that and I talk about Kurt Fernley, I talk about other wheelchair rugby athletes that I've worked with, people who have suffered, had car accidents and can never walk again, people who, you know, Kurt has never had a major accident but he was born with no legs because of a spinal condition but people like this don't think about what they can't do they don't get stuck in that poor me victim mentality they think about what they do have and they're grateful for that they think about what they can control and they utilize that and that's how they grow strength and courage and confidence and move forward i use i tell the stories of other people i've had on the podcast like kath cashel Because her story of a broken back twice, finding a loved one to suicide, having a brain tumor, almost getting her leg amputated, just getting whacked with the adversity stick her whole life or the back end of her life. But how does she get through each of those challenges? Massive life challenges. 
once again, doesn't get stuck in the victim mentality. Of course, she goes through her grieving periods and it's freaking tough. But she found kindness, being kind, doing acts of kindness and encouraging other people globally to do acts of kindness. That was her medicine that got her through. So I'm telling stories that are really bluntly um, quite in depth and I gave the gory details of when some of these athletes have lost their limbs and what they went through and it was quite impactful and then I finished with actually I I had a Mick Fenning story in there and talk about you know an able-bodied athlete that hasn't lost any limbs but been through massive adversity been attacked by a great white shark uh, lost his brother had his wife leave him stories like this and then and then I tell my story at the end about about my grandparents and those two amazingly abundantly important inspirational human souls in my life and how they were they were murdered and I used that language in that school deliberately because it's something that these kids are exposed to. It doesn't mean they're in there for that. I had no idea who was in there for what. It was more that it's a language that is used. It might be things that they see on TV, on a current affair. It might be things that they're surrounded by in their communities. I wanted it to be realistic because from that, I could then tell from, from my own experience, what were the skills that I used? How did I use gratitude and kindness and mindset shifts to not be stuck in anger and resentment and sadness and disappointment and to move forward. But the resonating message throughout it for these kids was it doesn't matter what happens to us, to you. I said to them, it does not matter what happens to you in your life. It's how you choose to respond. There is guaranteed crap going on in your life. I don't know you from a bar of soap, I said, but I know that there's crap going on in your life because you're human. But do not let those challenges, those adversities and that crap define you because it's not about what happens to you in your life. It's how you choose to respond that defines you. Understand that being grateful for what you do have and grateful for an opportunity. I said this being here in this detention center is an opportunity for you to create a life beyond what you probably ever thought was measurable. So that was my resonating message to the students. And you think about it. I told you there's kids in here for petty crime all the way up to murder. There's a mixture of race. They're all boys, by the way. There's not a mixture of gender. There's a mixture of comprehension. They've come from such different backgrounds and communities. Their belief systems would be so strong within them. So I really didn't know what to expect from the kids. But I can tell you now that each class, I was humbled As the boys would come in, as they were led into their small groups, most of them would walk straight to the front of the room and shake my hand and say, hi, I'm such and such. Hi, thanks for coming. So I got to greet them. And at the end, a lot of them would stand up and shake my hands on their way out as well. It was great. It felt respect. 
There wasn't many questions from the boys. They weren't fully engaging. But, you know, I felt like I'm just retracing now my feelings. And after that first presentation, I just felt a connection. I saw their eyes light up. I felt the aha moments, even though there wasn't any questions in the first group. And I just thought, I nailed it. Boom. I've hit home. I felt proud and I felt confident. Same after the second presentation. Each one was between sort of 30 and 40 minutes, depending on how long it took to filter the guys in and if there was any dramas outside on the way in. And in the third group, so then we had a fruit break after the first two and in that fruit break, I got to spend time with the staff and chatting and they were very engaging and the vibe was great. And this was a big part of my learning curve on the day, speaking to the staff, which I'll come back to. In the third group... I did the same presentation for each of the groups of students. And in the third group, there was, there was a couple of questions at the end. We had a little bit of time this time. And one of the questions was, what happened to your uncle? Because I told them that it was my uncle that murdered my grandparents. I wanted it to be real and blunt to them. And I told them that he's been locked up hopefully forever he's waiting for his turn to go into the mental health sorry the mental institute hopefully forever i said what he did was raw and disgusting and no human should ever be allowed to be let out again after that so he's locked up where he deserves to be and then as we finished up and in the chat with a few of the boys because you know, they were filtering the groups out separately and we'd finished and the teachers are up the back discussing, just having a chat and I just decided to chat with the boys and and one of them said, was that you on a current affair last week on the TV program? And I said, yeah, actually it was. It was my mum and I and that was our story. And they said, the boy said, yeah, he's the killer who got rewarded, hey. I saw it on a current affair, the killer who got rewarded and my heart sunk. In that moment, inside a juvenile detention centre where I'm working with kids who have made poor choices that's got them in behind security, behind lockup in a detention centre and I don't know what these kids have done. And I don't judge them. They, I, they were not there as criminals to me. They were there as the recipients of my value because that's what the school was wanting to do. But when he said that, my heart just sunk. And in that moment, and as I know all too well, our minds go really fast. We think so much faster than we can speak and act. And there was so much going through my mind and I knew I had to be careful with my response because those words that he said, he's the killer who got rewarded, isn't he? I saw that. So in my mind, I'm thinking, shit. Actually, I dropped the F-bomb in my mind and I thought, criminals might be getting the message that they can be rewarded for their crime. That hit me hard. Shit. Do these guys think about doing major crimes now and getting the mental illness plea knowing how much they'll benefit from it? 
Oh, fuck. And in my mind, I just had to respond in a way where I didn't want to encourage that and make it feel like that that's what it was. But that's what the government, that's what our laws are portraying. That if people do major crimes like this and have a mental illness, they get rewarded. It's scary. So my response to this kid, once again, there was no judgment. I had no idea. This kid could have stolen candy from a candy store. I didn't know. But I responded with, when he said, that's the killer who got rewarded, hey. My response was, "Mm, yes, kind of, mate. But the money is only there for him if he gets released. And because he admitted to killing people and he doesn't deserve to get released, I said, hopefully he never gets released. So it's not really rewarded, mate, because the money's only there if he gets released. It was hard for me to say. And to be honest, it wasn't the complete truth. But when that dropped in my mind, I thought, is this right? Is this what criminals are now thinking? Is this what these laws have made criminals think? Is this why this kind of shit is happening? Later on, I thought about it and I thought, and I contacted mum that afternoon. And, and I said, I told her and she said, yes, this is what I've been thinking. She said, I actually spoke to the governor general just recently about this or their office. And my, my thoughts and my words to mum was the, all the more reason to make sure these laws change. And it's another great angle to bring into the whole discussion. Anyway, that was, that was just a small part of the day. So I, I wasn't fearful. I, wasn't, I didn't have those emotions. It just hit me from another angle of how this is all being portrayed. But my experience with these boys, it was great. And I suddenly thought, here I am in a funny situation bringing, because all I want to do, I believe part of my purpose is to impact the world with every skill that I have. Hence why I do this free podcast. Hence why I create wellbeing programs. Hence why I collaborate with other industry leaders in their space. Hence why I get out and do things and provide this value and create online programs and run courses, all this kind of stuff. I believe it's my purpose to develop these skills and knowledge and habits into people's lives to help them become better versions. So when I saw that this school, that's what they were wanting to do, even though they don't have them for long, of course I wanted to be a part of it because I had the opportunity to put something into these kids' lives that can help them in the long run. So after these sessions with the boys, we had a lunch break and I was in the... So we didn't mingle with the boys in the fruit break or in the lunch break. The, all the staff are in their own area together. And it was great. I got to meet and mingle with a lot of the staff in these breaks before I presented to them because after lunch, I had 90 minutes presenting to them. And I started to ask some questions to some of the staff and to one of the assistant principals who who picked me up from the train station, took me to the school and took me through security and everything. And uh, he's the one that I'd been communicating with in the lead up to this. But 
For me to understand, my big question to everyone was, why? Why do you choose to teach in this environment? Because can you imagine what it must be like to be teaching there? There would be fear and worry every day. Some days there would be resistance and anger and hatred towards the the teachers. Some days these kids are great, apparently. So that's what my question was, why do you choose? And it was great because, you know, a couple of them opened up and said, it's not that we're going to get all the major breakthroughs here in their short period of time, although we do see a lot of growth. But a couple of them said to me, I just need to think about the ripple effect later in their life and how we hope that when they have families, they can be a bit better influence to their families and their children and their communities based on what they learn from us in here. I thought that's pretty bloody powerful because that's how I was kind of looking at it too. I wasn't expecting the kids to walk out of there and never think about ever doing anything wrong again. I actually said to the teachers, I believe that they will be in a situation later in life and about to make a poor decision and instead of making that poor decision, something will pop in their, their subconscious mind they, where they'll remember that in actual fact, they can be kind and be grateful for what they do have. They do have an opportunity because people have had worse things and have used it as an opportunity to grow stronger. So those kind of discussions with the teachers, was, it was phenomenal for me to hear that. And, and for them to say, you know, we get them for a short period of time, but we can make difference. Like we see, and they started to explain, we see kids come in and we teach them how to read and write. Or we take them, they took me through the school, the teachers, and, and I was looking in the art room, and these kids are doing some of this amazing Aboriginal art. And I love Aboriginal art. And to see some of the pictures and the designs and, you know, all the dots and the colors, and I thought, this is brilliant. And it's so finite and specific, so they have to be mindful while they're in there doing their work. And they're proud of an outcome. And they have responsibility. Going through their, their PE room and seeing how they have equipment in there and the guys have to design programs and they learn around, you know, they're learning school subjects around health and well-being and everything. So they're in there being educated. It's not a bludge. It's, this is a great system to help these kids filter into the community as better human beings. I think we should be respectful and proud that these, these associations exist. So then my afternoon with the teachers was that we... Sorry, my afternoon with the teachers, 90 minutes, and once again the assistant principal who I'd been communicating with just said to me, you know, come in, do what you do, give us, give us some education, some inspiration, we want to know how we can be better people. So with them, it was more around understanding emotional intelligence, understanding how they can, because I, I assume that there's lots of stresses that they take with them. So understanding how they can redefine what stress actually is. I was teaching them tools and strategies to not take stress from home, uh, from work to home teaching them understanding themselves better than ever before, taught them breathing techniques to help with stress, to help in controlled environments. It was really great with the teachers. I taught them about perception 
and what perception actually means and why we get into arguments with people because there's two different perceptions. It's not a right or wrong. Just different things like that. And it was a great session. I was buzzing because there was great engagement. There was lots of questions. And I was really feeling that people were taking it on board and they were growing as staff members wanting to be there. There's no better feeling than presenting or talking or mingling with a group of people who really care about what you're saying because they can see and feel and understand how that can make them a little bit better version of themselves. So it was a great vibe. And I knew my role was to give them skills and understand themselves to be able to handle some pretty serious situations and also to be able to handle life and navigate life from a better perspective. So the fact that there was heaps of hugs and handshakes and gratitude at the end and lots of good feedback and lots of questions and really engaging, I felt, once again, I just had that feeling of, you know, I talk about understanding your feelings on this podcast, thinking about your thoughts, that metacognition aspect, think about your thoughts, uh, be aware of your awareness, understand your feelings. So I'm very in tune with that and the feelings well up with pride and joy and confidence and passion. I felt valuable, impactful and these are the kind of things and that's amazing. Like If you think about yourself right now, I ask you the question, how often are you fueled with the feelings of pride, joy, confidence, passion, value, impact? Think about the energy running through your body. It's not very often that we as humans are filled with all of that. Some of us more regular than others. Some of us wouldn't experience it much at all. So, of course, I'm going to relish in that. That's why I'm able to talk to you about it because those feelings were so strong and so powerful and feelings that I want more of that they were ingrained in me in my nervous system but you know one of the <laughs> the things that really topped it off for me in this way that the assistant principal Damo that I was working with he he said to me at the end I said how was it mate you've organized for me to come in here did I give you what you wanted and he said from my perspective, Robbo, it was enormous. And me as the organiser of you coming, I couldn't be more proud and happy how it went. I don't believe there would be one person in those rooms today that wouldn't have gotten value from it. And he said, what you're doing is so important and so impactful. And he looked at me a bit after and he said, you couldn't really call it work what you do, could you? Because it's so rewarding and had a bit of a laugh. And I thought, man, he gets it. My job is done there for that day. He gets it. That's a resonating message. If the assistant principal feels that way and from the engagement I got from the staff and the interaction I got from the kids and seeing their aha moments, I feel proud. I'm happy. I'm confident with the way that the message was delivered. So this is a bit of a different podcast that I've done for you today just to share Share my experience. I don't know what you're going to take from it, but I wanted to share an experience with you that I'd never had before 
being inside the juvenile justice detention center. Actually, something that just came to mind, this is what happens when you don't make notes for an episode, things get a bit jumbled. But when I was talking to the, the teachers afterwards and asked them, actually one of them said to me, oh, yeah, so when the students came back from your session into my class, I asked them, how was it? And the res- they said the response was great because they said the main thing that they took from it was they said, yeah, that bloke, he gets it like he's got life experience. He's not just coming and talking to us about something, you know, f- like from a textbook. He's got life experience with these people and himself. So he gets it. I thought that's pretty powerful, right? And that makes you realize why you connect with people sometimes. And you think about, I'm talking to you, the listener right now. Who do you learn from? Who are you inspired by? Who do you open your mind and your heart to to learn from? Is it people that you can resonate with? People that you feel connected to? Because you start to feel trust and connection. That's how we learn the most as people. So I feel, once again, I feel proud that I was able to make that connection in that environment with a group of strangers with such vast array backgrounds being locked up for things that I've got no idea what they've done. Once again, I'm proud. I made that connection. Thanks again for listening to another episode, Legends. I, as always, am extremely grateful for you loyal legends that just keep tuning in to hear me either speak my experiences like I've just done or talk to some influential, inspirational and impactful humans. But I need to hear more from you. Who do you want to hear from? What do you want to hear more about? So I've allowed my the private Facebook group for this podcasting community to start to tell me who they want to hear from in 2019 on this podcast. What are some of the topics? And I want to hear from you listeners. Is episodes like this something that you want to hear occasionally? Do you care to hear me express my experiences? Do you learn from that like I learn from people with their experiences and their stories? So reach out. You can join the the private Facebook group if you search the Facebook groups section for Your Life of Impact podcast community and we share a bit of value in there and I jump on and do some live videos and some Q&As and you can also reach out via the website and my email is on the website so you can go to yourlifeofimpact.com reach out directly there and tell me what you want to hear more of tell me if you enjoyed this episode and this style and i'll bring it in a little bit also for all of you don't forget that the legends from mountains and marathons jamin and jen that they're giving you guys a massive discount into their epic programs so if you haven't listened to episode 94 with them go back and check it out but as a reminder Mountains and Marathons guides people to develop greater courage, clarity, and confidence. They do this through six-month leadership programs that leverage online coaching, community support, 
leadership masterclasses, and epic physical challenges. So each of their programs culminate in running a marathon or climbing a mountain in one of the world's most extraordinary locations. So check out all their info and get in contact with them at www.mountainsandmarathons.world forward slash legends. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.